Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I have the soundboard working again. <laughs> oh, yay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I had a couple of options, but I think I found one you might quite like. Yeah, sure. <laughs> And welcome to episode 203 of Geek Town Radio. I'm back this week with... Anyone like any toast? Vex! Hello! <laughs> I was just waiting to see what the jingle was. That was much kinder than I was expecting. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I did just in case you uh, came back from the weekend, I did have this as a backup. <laughs> but, that's, that's fair. That's um, fair. I, I didn't fall over at all at Play Expo, have you know. Yes, well, well done. I had a couple of other options as well, one of which was this... Which I thought you'd quite like as well. <laughs> I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm a Sega girl though. Yeah, I know. I just, I was trying to find, I was looking up Sonic, but it's not as well known, I guess. So, what? Uh, well, I mean, I, I, everybody sort of knows. Out. Well, yeah, I know, but everybody knows the Mario theme. The Sonic theme is true. Just, everybody just, now knows the, the Sonic theme. It's Gangster's Paradise, apparently. <laughs> right. Yes. Okay. So, so <laughs> the Mario one's great, though. It's like, How can you not love that? <laughs> I do. I do also like Mario. I do also like it Mario. Brilliant. It's just that I, I own Sega consoles, so the Sonic games are the ones I played for hours and hours on end, whereas the Mario ones, I would have been kicked out of somebody else's house if I'd done that. Right, okay. Well, maybe, <laughs> maybe I'll, I'll look up some of those. But, but, but I appreciate it, and uh, only one of them was the sound of me crashing into something, so that's, yeah, you know... Yeah. That's, that's... <laughs> That's fair. So, yes, as as we've just established, you've uh, spent the weekend at Play Expo in Manchester. How was that? Exhausting <laughs> and really, really amazing. The guys at Replay Events have outdone themselves. It was such an awesome event. It was so welcome and open and friendly and it was amazing for socializing. There were so many YouTubers there, so many retro games people ran into Jason Bradley from the Gadget Show fame and um, <laughs> so so many people. He said, I have good energy and he quite liked my channel and I just looked confused for a bit. It was awesome. And <laughs> just so many people and we, we, we all did remarkably little filming because we were all too busy socializing and talking to each other and playing games. So yes, that's nowhere awesome, near as much content as uh, any of us planned to make 
but it was an absolutely brilliant event. Just the sheer amount of arcade cabinets, original arcade cabinets, all mm. lovingly restored by their guys. Like good, cool pinball machines, uh, Demolition Man pinball machine. That was pretty cool. <laughs> I'm rubbish at pinball. I just appreciated the artwork. Uh, loads of retro consoles, some of which provided by Sobitech, so some super rare ones like the, the Casio Loopy, if you know that one. I have no idea what that is. That's, that's the, awesome. The Casio Loopy is a console for girls. It prints stickers of fashion things it's so bad um <laughs> and some, wow. some super super rare ones like the mega jet which is a mega drive that was designed for use on airplanes uh, that plugged okay. into the the airplane tv on the the back of the oh, seat I see. and you just hire them on on planes so they, but they took mega drive cartridges wow things like that awesome really rare things all there to play and enjoy all ages were there and it was just, I wish it was more than two days. That's my only complaint is there was not enough of it. Yeah, I, I have done that once for a number of years ago and it was good fun. You know, it was it was nice, but I did think about going up this weekend, but I, I decided against it because I've got other things coming up this month and I was doing stuff. So, uh, so yes, mm-hmm. but I will try and make it up there again to another it's one. So it's so good. I want really it to good. be three days. And when it's three days long, I'm probably going to want it to be four days long because <laughs> I probably did about 30% of the things I wanted to in the two days so I probably yeah we probably need like a week of it we were all so sad we were leaving we had a big group Twitter DM group of of loads of us and all of us were the same we're just going like I don't want it to be over and because it was so, so fun. There were some awesome merch guys there, a lot of like, obviously the retro stuff, rare stuff, uh, also a lot of awesome handmade things and independence. Um, there was the, the Pocket Pixels t-shirts were there doing a uh, event only 30th edition, um, 30 year anniversary Game Boy t-shirt, sort of printing, hand printing <laughs> on the stool and things like that. Really, really awesome. So many awesome people and some really good panels and shows so we had the the nightmare live was there uh, which is brilliant fun the dark room uh, John robertson's uh, robotron as he's called on um twitter he he was there and that was brilliant because you could hear that for quite far across the room his booming voice making very funnies um (laughs) lots of lots of awesome computer game references and things going on in in a in a not quite as dark as usual room because this is a big open event but still wonderfully funny and um, we had some awesome panels including a youtuber panel which had uh, people like octavius kitten and kim justice and nostalgia nerd and top hat gaming and slopes game room was the host oh, he right. also did an amazing quiz where i got about 20 percent of the answers it was quite embarrassing oh dear so uh, it's not you don't just suck at quizzes on on my show then it's also <laughs> his quiz well your quiz that was just Terrifically embarrassing. This quiz was actually really hard. Like it was like, can you name the name of this incredibly obscure third-party controller and which retro system it was for? Oh my god! Yes, it was one okay. of the rounds. Um, and he did another round because he's a DJ, DJ Slope, obviously. And yes. he did a round where he'd made a, a mashup of visuals and tunes from all different games, and you had to spot all the references and clips he'd used. Wow. We got about ten out of twenty of them. Uh, really well done. And uh, a good a good highlight was someone else for over um, <laughs> for a change as, as, yes. as slopes game room uh, jumped down off the, the stage to go and ask the audience questions and things he managed to do an incredible fall and he was on the floor for a split second very confused about how he got there and then just jumped up like a pro and carried on uh, <laughs> which is which is up on twitter people have got slow-mos people have got sound effects <laughs> um, and he wasn't how he saw the funny side of it he was retweeting people's video of him just going like Poof. and i was nice. like i'm not the person that fell over at this event and he's okay 
So the fact we're all in hysterics is actually <laughs> fine. Good, good. <laughs> but yeah, so so much to see. I, I highly recommend going to their events and, and playing as many games as humanly possible. Yeah, because they, they're all over the place as well, the play expos. I mean, there's like Manchester, Glasgow, Blackpool, I think they do one. And then there's a big one in London in August as well. So yeah, they're all over the place. So they are good fun, the play expo events, definitely. Certainly one for, if you're into retro gaming, definitely one to go to. Any other stuff you've been doing want to talk about? Is that not enough, sir? <laughs> we could leave it there <laughs> if you like. I've barely slept in three days. They want me to have done more. Yes, yes. Work, definitely you um i weirdly i actually did a a tiny tiny little event it's run by a company called geeks entertainment uh called heroes and foes and it was in wolverhampton it, it is a tiny event they did one locally to me a few months ago and i went there and they're they're lovely little tiny tiny little cons and uh they've got a few guests there they've got a, a bunch of the people selling stuff and uh, a few people turning up in cosplay and taking photos this is in the middle of a shopping center in the middle of Wolverhampton so it was like free to get in it was just there in the middle of the shopping center you can just kind of go and wander around and they had Colin Baker was there and the guy that plays dad for us Terry Malloy was there uh but the most exciting thing for me was I got to have a conversation with a white walker which was awesome <laughs> Awesome. Ross Milan, who played one of the White Walkers in Game of Thrones and uh, also played one of the Silence in Doctor Who and was in the cinematic extravaganza that was Sharknado 5 as well. Uh, <laughs> but uh, he played the White Walker that uh, Sam stabs back in whatever season that was and he's been on I think three seasons of it and uh, isn't in the current season because he was busy on something else unfortunately but uh, yes he's played a couple of different White Walkers on the show but he was lovely and had a really nice conversation with him just about you know working on the show and all that sort of stuff so that was that was really good as I say not a huge con but it was free to go to and just sort of wander around and I did see the best thing I saw that weekend was Batman walking into H&M <laughs> like, that was very funny because it was like just in the middle of the shopping centre just guy in full Batman costume wandering around H&M which is very strange did, did he buy some sort of DC themed socks and he really should have done I don't know I didn't see but uh, <laughs> yes I, it was very odd that very funny TV-wise, I've been watching a few new things. Dead to Me, which is started on Netflix, or he's, he's up as a box set on Netflix, which has been absolutely brilliant. I wasn't sure whether I was going to start watching it, but it's more like a very, very dark comedy. It stars Christina Applegate, who you know, is a veteran of sitcom things, and uh, Linda Cartellini, who you will have most recently seen in Avengers, and uh, she was in ER and a bunch of other stuff. They're half-hour episodes. It's 10 episodes long, so so, you know, only about five hours in total. It's about a woman whose husband is killed in a car accident and she goes to this grief group. That's the uh, Christina Applegate character and meets this kind of, you know, free-spirited friend there played by Linda Cartellini who is is kind of, you know, much more laid back about the, the sort of whole grief thing and, you know, she's... So she's lost her husband and they strike up this weird friendship between the pair of them. But it turns out that uh, Linda Cartellini's character has got quite a dark secret she's hiding as well. 
It's brilliantly, brilliantly put together. It's written by Liz Feldman, who was uh, wrote One Big Happy and Two Broke Girls, but it's very much not that sort of humour. It's also produced by Will Ferrell and Adam McKay, who obviously Anchorman, Talaga Nights and that sort of stuff. And it's very much not that sort of humour either. It's incredibly dark, very funny, and got lots of twists and turns in it. And I don't want to say any more than that because I don't want to give anything away. But the entire thing is up there on... Netflix now and uh, I would urge you to go and watch it it's really really good I've been thoroughly enjoying that I sort of binge watched my way through the first five or six episodes in one sitting so (laughs) definitely worth going to see also started Black Summer as well, which Matt was talking about last week, which is the zombie drama, which is technically set in the same universe as Zed Nation, but you wouldn't actually know that because there's absolutely no relationship between the two. It's set right at the start of a zombie apocalypse. It's another take on how a zombie apocalypse starts, and it's quite good. I'm, I've been enjoying the first few episodes of that. And iZombie as well came back, which is more of exactly what you expect from iZombie. Uh, starts off with season five where the entire city is under complete lockdown. They're running out of brains, which is very unfortunate if you're a zombie. You know, brain shortage is never a good thing. So, uh, yeah, well, it's never a good thing in sort of any situation. Well, to be no, brain, that, that is true. That is true. Shortage of brain is never a good idea. So I, I've really enjoyed the, the fifth season of that. There's only one episode out at the moment, but that is back on Netflix. So I've had a bit of a netflix spurge recently that's about it really for me this week unless you've got anything else you've thought of yeah no but i need to have watched the first episode of season five of iZombie, and that's going to happen as soon as we finish here in fact you're lucky i'm not just immediately putting my microphone down and running off to watch that on netflix right now <laughs> yes don't do that <laughs> i've it'll... been waiting for so long don't do that it'll make for a very short show <laughs> so we better move on then so bets could go and watch iZombie. here's some tv and film news Kick off the TV and film news this week with renewals, cancellations, and pickups. Uh, ABC have renewed Blackish for a sixth season, and they've also picked up the 80s based spin off series Mixedish, which follows uh, the mother of the family, but as a child growing up in the 80s. That's pretty much the premise of, of that don't know where mixed dish will end up over here but um if it ends up anywhere because that's the second spin-off to come out of blackish so far and i don't think the other one has actually landed here yet either so uh, so we'll see but blackish running on e4 if you want to go and catch that uh fox have renewed empire for a sixth season although it looks like it's initially going to be without jesse smollett who obviously has had various legal troubles with which we won't go into right now, but uh, they have renewed his contract, but he's not on the show, which is a little weird. So they're kind of edging their bets at the moment. They have renewed his contract, but initially he's not going to be back in it. We'll have to wait and see if he pops up at a later date. Showtime have renewed Black Monday, which is a show about the financial crash. It's a dark comedy about the financial crash in the 80s. Uh, they've renewed that for season two. I mean, It's a Showtime series, so that should be coming to Sky Atlantic over here. I think it's coming in June, I seem to remember. So we're... Uh, that's one to look out for. And uh, E4 finally have set an air date for Gotham season five, the final season. That's coming on the 12th of May at 9 p.m. I have uh, no idea what they can possibly do in that next season. It's got so wonderfully ridiculous by this point. 
point. Yes, yeah. It's uh, they seem to have been waiting for it to finish in the US before they air it over here. Which why I don't know because it's not like they're going to dump it up as a box set. But it is coming on the twelfth of May from nine pm on E4, and uh, I'm very much looking forward to seeing that. It's going to be quite entertaining in, in the best possible silly way. I think we're going to save it for when I'm ill, which is what I did last time. I ended up waiting until I was kind of ill and wanted something just really super entertaining, and ended up binge watching loads of Gotham which I was massively <laughs> behind on and I think I'm going to do that with the last series wait until I'm having like a really bad week and use that to cheer myself up massively yes yeah that's a good idea that's a good way of doing it moving on to other new shows we are starting to get into upfronts and Hulu had their upfront this week and uh, it's one interesting thing that seemed to come out of nowhere Hulu have announced two Marvel series they've picked up a live action Marvel Ghost Rider series and one based on Hellstrom which aren't characters I know do you know the Hellstrom characters at all I've not one um, it's, it's a Ghost Rider spin-off effectively yeah. or was launched in Ghost Rider it's not one I've really read I just yeah I think it's someone that's started off in Ghost Rider and then spun off into its own thing. Another dark, some similar thing, possibly a little bit sort of demonology based. Yeah. So it sort of makes sense for them both to be on the same place. And uh, I mean, obviously we know Disney Plus is coming, but Hulu seems like the more sensible place to run this because it gives them a bit more freedom to be a bit more adult rated with them than having to stick to the PG-13 rating that they're, they're insisting that they're sticking to with uh, Disney Plus. Marvel's Ghost Rider, it's going to be Robbie Reese again. It looks like it's going to be Gabriel Luna. Originally, when they announced, they didn't specifically say it was, but he's since been saying, you know, happy to go, you know, be rattling the chains again and that sort of stuff. So it looks like it is definitely him going to be playing Robbie Reese, which makes perfect sense because it's all a connected universe. And uh, Robbie Reese, who appeared on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., is played by Gabriel Luna, is going to get his own TV show. Quintessential anti hero, lives on the Texas. Mexico border consumed by hellfire and supernaturally bound to a demon uh, if you don't know Ghost Rider so there you also go also super cool with a flaming skull head yes super cool with a flaming skull head so uh, yes very very cool character and uh, I, I think this this could work uh, it'll be means it's not the bike riding version it's the car version because that's the other sort of major thing is he always has like the the other version that has a bike and uh, this version has a car yeah I'm definitely looking forward to that that should be really good Hellstrom follows Damien and Anna Hellstrom the son and daughter of a mysterious and powerful serial killer the siblings have a complicated dynamic because they track down the worst of humanity, each with their attitude and skills. Like I say, I don't know these characters at all, but it sort of makes sense that they're together, I guess. Yeah, they might sort of spin one into the other because I'm sure I suspect that Hellstrom so. appeared in Ghost Rider comics and it's another thing where he's connected to demonology or may even, because he's called Damien, he may actually be connected to a kind of Satan-type character but i think it's another one where it's kind of bound to demons and a similar dark approach and uh yeah, definitely belonging here and not on uh, one of the Disney-based channels. Yeah, I, I think this is sort of sensible. And this sounds like what we were kind of told they were probably going to do. It's like if they do ever 
decide to revive the Marvel Netflix shows, the chances are that they're more likely to land on Hulu than they are Disney Plus, because you can't really do that sort of drama on the Disney Plus channel because it's going to be kind of a PG-13 rated thing but they do have like two-thirds stake in hulu at this point so it means that they can quite easily just push anything that's adult orientated onto there they also own the fx channel as well now so they've got that they can dump things on if they want them on normal network tv rather than streaming lots and lots of options for it as well Sticking with the Disney Plus stuff, they are considering a Willow series, apparently. Do you remember Willow? I do. I loved Willow, but I was terrified by that bit where they made the thing accidentally into the two-headed monster with the terrifying transformation sequence and incredible practical effects. It's such a a seminal film of kind of people of my age's childhood. I'm quite interested to see how they would make that into a series because it's quite a a large world. Mm. So I think there are more stories you could tell within it because I don't think they know if they're doing a, a reboot or just well, another story yet. It sounds like it's going to be a continuation. I mean, for, for those mm. of you that don't know Willow, Willow uh, fantasy adventure series starred Warwick Davis as Willow, a young farmer and conjurer who discovers a baby girl in a reed basket near a river. Doesn't know at the time, but the baby's supposed to fulfill a prophecy which would see the downfall of the evil sorceress queen and uh, have been smuggled away by a midwife to keep her safe, much to the anger of the queen with the house of a mercenary played by Val Kilmer and a warrior played by Joanna Whaley, Willow embarks on a quest to take the child to safety. So that was the basis of the original. It was directed by Ron Howard based on a story by George Lucas because it was it was a Lucasfilm property originally. Ron Howard was on a podcast and revealed that they are he's, he's actually working on a version of the project as a TV series with John Kasdan who was one of the writers of Solo. So they've been working together on bringing this back. There have been reports floating around about them doing something with Willow for a while. They've been touted this as a reboot in some places, but when you actually look at what he's saying in the interview, he actually says that they won't do it or they don't really want to do it without Warwick Davis. And you know, if you've ever met Warwick Davis, he would he would murder people to, to make sure that he's on this. Because he's been talking about doing Willow uh, for years and bringing that back as a possibility. So I I think he would uh, uh, he would step over the bodies of the dead to get to, uh, to to make sure that he's involved in this project. So it sounds like that what they would be doing would be a sort of continuation, picking up some years later and be something else. Uh, mm. You know, it some- would be cool to have Warwick's character as Willow sort of handing over the reins almost yeah. like a new a new generation it would be awesome to have him involved in that project and in that world in a way that was still accessible to new people but also could could make it that continuation because i think a continuation would be more exciting than a than just doing it as a reboot yeah i mean i i think some sort of continuation of maybe a new threat rising something like that because yeah because it's such a it's kind of a twist on the standard fantasy format Mm. because your hero is someone because I mean he's saying he's a sorcerer he's quite inept in the film yes that's one of the main things of his character is he is a sorcerer and he's trying to to keep this child safe but his heart is in the right place but he's actually not very good at these things so it is a twist on that kind of fantasy archetype so it would be interesting to see what they kind of if they take another plot line that's a standard plot of maybe next time they could go up against a dragon or something and have someone who wasn't very good at making water magic or something you know yeah there's, yeah. there's 
other ways they could twist other standard archetypes to add in that sort of humor and, and lovable nature that Willow had, as well as being quite epic. Yeah. And I mean, this is the sort of thing that Ron Howard does very, very well, I think. <laughs> and uh, its properties worked on before. Uh, I, you know, I know Solo came in for a lot of criticism, but I really like that film. I thought it was, it was really it was well fun. done. Yeah, it was. I, really I, I don't movie. think it was the most amazing film I'd ever no. seen in my life, but I found it very enjoyable. And I think a lot of people that could have watched it without knowing what Star Wars was and found it just an enjoyable big kind of sci-fi heist movie. And I think yeah. there's a lot to be said for having nice little standalone pieces. Yeah, within a giant world like Star Wars. Absolutely. So uh, I'm perfectly happy with John Caston writing it as well. I, you know, I, I think it could be really good. At the moment, he said they're in discussions about it. But I, we don't know how far they've got. But he seems pretty sure that he wants Warwick in it. So I think that's great. And uh, I I think, you know, following maybe, like you say, a mature Willow, uh, maybe handing off or working with a new team or whatever it is, you know, see whether he's improved his magic at all. But uh, I, th- I think that could be really good it fun. It would be brilliant if he hadn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be awesome. Uh, so, yes, don't know, as I say, whether it's going to move forward or not. Uh, we still don't know when Disney Plus is likely to launch over here either but uh, the the chances are that we'll know more about the Willow series before we know when it'll actually launch they have said sometime in the next two years for Disney Plus but we don't know when and uh, moving back over to uh, London we got news that um, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost production company Stolen Picture have set their sights on bringing Ben Aronofitch's Rivers of London which is a fantasy novel series and adapting it to TV so uh, I do know this novel at all it's not one that i particularly knew no i don't really know this one the novel is basically if you're in the u.s by the way it was called midnight riot for whatever reason because apparently rivers of london would be confusing to american people i don't know um follows a guy called pete grant he's a young london met officer who has an unexpected encounter with a ghost uh, following the supernatural experience he finds himself recruited by detective chief inspector thomas nightingale into a special branch of the met that deals with magic and other manifestations of the uncanny now as a wave of brutal and bizarre murders engulfs the city grant is plunged into a world where gods and goddesses mingles with mortals and long dead evil is making a comeback on the rising tide of magic magic that's the setup for it i I rather like this it's sort of because it's a sort of magical underground world set around london which uh i yeah we've sort of seen this kind of thing done before but i like the idea of peg and frost getting hold of something like this i think it could work really well we've seen other things like neverwhere take these kind of um motifs and work really well and i think these are the right people to be picking up a book just based on what you've told me so far as soon as you've got some sort of like bizarre murders and then you can add some dry humor in there from peg and frost and i think that's going to be a really good mix yeah there was a little interview that aronoffich did with deadline he was saying that he's tried to get stuff adapted previously and was really unsure about whether he wanted to do it again but then peg and frost approached him and he's like well how, how can i say no to these to these guys I mean, these are just the perfect people, really, to take it on. And they have a sort of common language. They know this stuff. They know this sort of material. They know what it's like working in TV. And one of the reasons that Peg and Frost set up Stolen Picture was to make sure that they had full control over everything. So uh, I I think this is a fabulous, fabulous idea. And, uh, you know, there was an interview with Simon Pegg. He was basically saying, the problem is when you're a writer, you're often... uh, 
at the bottom of the food chain and treated like scum. Uh, so, you know, as a writer himself, he kind of understands what that process is and, and how much Ben has been like thrown a bit to the lion's den previously. So I, I think this could really work rather well um rivers of london is is actually only one of the books in a huge novel series it's sold like 2.5 million copies worldwide it's had graphic novels as well spawned off it and uh it's been nominated for a bunch of different awards ben's also written on um other tv shows as well so he's not just a, an author he's also a screenwriter he uh, wrote some of the classic doctor who episodes and also wrote for blake seven which was an amazing tv series i love blake seven <laughs> So do I. That's one I'm amazed they've not got round to actually kind of bringing back yet. I think they've tried a few times, but uh, they've never managed to kind of redo it. And uh, I would love to see that back because it was such a wonderful show. Yeah, Space 1999 needs to come back as well, just yes, for an updated title. <laughs> that's, that's the other one. So yeah, it's still very early in the process. Um, they're still pulling things together. It's not even gone out to broadcasters or streaming services or anything like that for like pitches. It's, so they're still really early process of it but uh one to keep an eye on and uh yeah like i say it's called rivers of london but we'll we'll let you know if we get any more updates on that because it looks really really good so that's all the news for this week next we have the interview selling a little or a lot shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. The interview this week is with Melanie Jones, who is a production designer on uh, a whole bunch of different things. She's probably best known for the film Whiplash, which of course won a bunch of different awards. But the three projects she was she came on to talk to us about was uh, The Curse of La Llorona, The Dirt and Bless This Mess. So The Curse of La Llorona is uh, Linda Cartellini once again. Um, it's a haunting supernatural story world where a family tries to survive the wrath of La Llorona a ghost of a woman who drowned her children. So that's like a, a horror movie from Warner Brothers. There is the Netflix period biopic, The Dirt, which is a period biopic about the band Motley Crue, which, I mean, if you've ever known anything about the band Motley Crue, you can imagine that was amazing fun to work on. And uh, ABC's upcoming comedy series, Bless This Mess, which stars Dax Shepard and Lake Bell. It's about a family that uh, are very much a city family and they up sticks and move to this tumble down house in Nebraska. So uh, we talk a lot about sort of how you build a house that looks like it's falling apart, but still is safe enough for actors to work in and that sort of stuff. And uh, recreating 80s LA for the Motley Crue movie. And we talk a little bit about, you know, creating horror stuff for La Llorona. So uh, there's a whole bunch of different things we talk about in this. Here's the interview with Melanie Jones. We'll see you afterwards with some highlights for next week on TV. 
thank you for coming on and talking through some of your work. Oh, it's my pleasure. Absolutely. You've got the horror film, The Curse of La La Rota. La La Rota. Is that right? Yeah, it's like, you know, the song My Sharona. Ah, right. Okay. Yes. That was the joke on set. We go, people couldn't pronounce it and and we'd say, just think of my Sharona. (laughs) Right. Okay. So you've got that coming up. You've got the uh, period biopic, The Dirt, which is based around the Motley Crue. Somebody coming up to the age of 44, things set in the 80s referred to as period pieces, really kind of. I know. (laughs) (laughs) And the ABC have got comedy coming up called Bless This Mess, which looks really funny as well. I've seen the trailers for that. Before we get into those, should we do a little bit of background. How did you get into production design in the first place? You know, I was, as a kid, I was a dancer and I did a lot of theater. Right. And I could also draw. So in the process of doing theater, uh, a lot of it was just, you know, like community theater. Yeah. Um, I would be the one who would end up working on the sets and the props and stuff like that because I could draw. Yeah. So it's community you know, theater, that's what just, you do. Yeah. yeah, and so then I just got into set design um, for theater. I did. A, I worked at a bunch of different smaller theaters on Los Angeles, and I also started working in film and television in that capacity. Anything in the art department, set decorating, any of that that I could do to learn. And once I started working, I just continued working in essence and, you know, kind of moved my way up through the the ranks. I was a set decorator for a long time. I worked as a scenic painter, you know, on yeah. and on and then into production design. So, yeah, that was my journey. Cool. Quite often when uh, you I'm talking to people, yeah, they, they may stick to one particular genre, but you're really kind of spread out across, you know, sort of comedies and horrors and, you know, period stuff. And yeah. Uh, do, yeah. you, do you like having that mix of things? Absolutely. I don't. It's two things. One, I don't want to get typecast as a certain kind of production designer. Yeah. And the reason for that is because I'm really story oriented. It doesn't really matter to me what genre I'm doing. I am honoring the story and the script. So, right. That's my job. And I personally, uh, you know, as a viewer, enjoy the whole broad spread of offerings. And, you know, so I want to be part of that. And I've been lucky to be able to do both. You know, I I do know a lot of other designers kind of get into one thing and feel a bit stuck there. And yeah, I'm super happy not to. But it's really because, like I said, like, you know, I just read the script and try and service it, try and give it what I feel like it needs. And sometimes it's a little darker and moodier and creepier. And sometimes it's more colorful and Sometimes, you know, for drama, for instance, it's uh, a little grittier, you know, it just depends on it. And it keeps me, it keeps me interested in it and excited in what I'm doing. Yeah, totally. And uh, in terms of the the projects that we're talking about, I mean, The Dirt, which, as you said, is is a 80s set biopic on Motley Crue, who who were, I mean, that what a thing to get involved with, because I mean, they they were the craziest of crazy bands, uh, particularly in those those 80s. 80s days so a lot of it's set around 80s LA and uh, I, I rather suspect you didn't have the sort of Quentin Tarantino budget of being able to shut down the whole of Hollywood to be able to change all the storefronts so 
where was that shot for you? We actually shot that in New Orleans. Ah. So I was making New Orleans look like L.A., wow. which actually is pretty doable, I have to say. Um, we don't think of the two cities as being alike at all, and in essence, they aren't. But there's corners and portions and nooks and crannies that, that we found that really worked. That job was incredible. We did 86 locations <laughs> in 35 days of shooting. Wow. <laughs> um, and every single set was interesting, fun. It had grit or color or, it's, yeah, I mean, it was just, it was a blast. And so, for instance, like the Whiskey A Go Go, you know, yeah. that was, we found an exterior of an apartment. I built the interior on stage. Right. We found an exterior of an apartment that was looked like it could be L.A. in the early 80s up the street from a building on the corner. <laughs> and then I refaced the building with the Whiskey A Go Go. Right. Circa 1981. Yeah. You know, it was, that, it was that kind of thing. It was so much fun. That's amazing. Because, I mean, the Whiskey A Go Go as a club is, is still around in L.A., isn't it, these days? Yeah. So yeah. I mean, we I'm, had our we had our um, we had our um, premiere party there. Oh wow! <laughs> I guess what's also interesting about a film like that is you're going from these very kind of grungy sort of apartments and and things that they were staying in in the early days through to and it gets sort of more opulent as they go through. I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the apartment was a set that we built with much pleasure, yeah. creating the the dirt and the grit and just getting it. I mean, the architecturally simple apartment, but you know, I was in Los Angeles in the eighties and, um, and I remember what those places looked like and felt like. So we reproduced it. And again, it was like, you know, it was glorious getting that ugly brown carpeting that looked exactly like the stuff that you find in 81, you know, things like yeah. the interior of the bus with, you know, because you have to understand the earlier part of that movie is really visually the seventies in yeah. many, many ways, you know, with kind of a punk layer on top of it. Yeah. Um, so, and yeah, then the opulence, for instance, Vince Neal's house, that is a location that we find found um, off of Lake Pontchartrain. Right. Um, and it was, uh, I did some modifications to it, but it was actually pretty perfect just as it was. And, you know, Nikki's, Nikki's house too, that we, we see his, um, his bedroom, that was a location we built the closet into <laughs> where he does heroin. And yeah, it, there's a real spread in the story. And, and to speak to that, you know, it's kind of a now one of the tales I tell about the, designing this movie. When I read the script and I was reading the section where uh, in 1987, I think it was, where Nikki Six ODs. Right, yeah. And in my head, as I'm seeing this happening, I keep on thinking, like, I don't know what the Franklin Hotel looks like. And I had done research and I couldn't find it. I couldn't find any pictures of it. It doesn't exist now. I know the area where it was supposed to have existed, but the building, it's just not the same thing. Yeah. And when I read the script, I kept on seeing the Chateau Marmont, which is a hotel in West Hollywood. It's been around for a real long time and it's, you know, infamous for being a place where the rich and famous can go and do all manner of things and really be protected. Yeah. It's very private. The news doesn't really get out about what's going on there. It's where John 
Belushi OD'd. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, there's a lot of things that have happened. So that's what I kept on picturing in my head when I read read it in the script and I talked to Jeff Tremaine, the director, and said, this is what I see. I kind of would like to go that direction, but I want to get Nikki's okay. Yeah. You know, so when I talked to Nikki Six, I asked him, I said, what did the Franklin Plaza Hotel look like? And he said, oh, it was a real shithole. <laughs> it was not a, not a nice place. I don't even really know what I was, you know, I know what I was doing there. I was doing heroin there, mm-hmm. but, you know, it just was not, obviously, it wasn't really about the ambiance. It was about, yeah, heroin. you know, <laughs> yeah. it was about heroin Exactly. And I told him, I said, well, you know, that's not what I see. I, 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 I see the Chateau Marmont and we really wanted to make everything authentic yeah, as much as possible. But there's a couple places in the movie where you can push it a little bit. And that really is to serve the arc of the story. They're at the height of their career at that point or near to it. And so, you know, maybe yeah. you want to shine it up a little bit and also their airplane was just sort of a creation i i didn't have pictures right. um and i had seen a lot uh pictures of there was a plane that like zeppelin and alice cooper and a bunch of and elton john i think they all at various times used it and it, the inside was kind of gutted and modified to their need, needs there was like a bar when elton had it with a piano built into the bar or something in the plane and i was i said to nikki i go can we go that direction like this this again is because he he described the plane and you know it was just a normal smaller jet yeah and i'm can we rock star it up a little bit and he was like yeah add leopard carpet to it will be great (laughs) this is is what i would have had if i thought about it at the time (laughs) yeah yeah if it even really mattered which i don't think again i don't think it did but you know that that's my job right to tell yeah to tell some kind of story so it was really essential we took a lot of time and care i did a ton of research had lots of conversations with people who knew yeah. band members and otherwise and it tried to to get the best story on the screen visually and the most accurate story visually but you know like i said before it's also a movie and you're serving the script yeah which is based on their lives but at certain moments in the script it was nice to push it up a little bit or slightly down a little bit depending on the needs at the moment yeah totally moving on to to the horror film uh, the curse of la llorona is that right yeah. now yes <laughs> you're right that does work um, yeah. with that obviously you're, you're dealing with kind of quite a lot of supernatural things and, and that sort of stuff as it as it's sort of, sort of horror movie uh, that's a period thing again isn't it it's, yeah 1973 yeah so what was the sort of most interesting thing for you dealing with that project i really liked learning about the curandero doing his shop there you had the front portion of the shop and then the back bit, um, the front where the general public interface and and the back bit of it is really more for kind of more like his lair with his real magic and power and potions right. and things in there. And so we sent somebody in our department to a couple of different Kirandero shops here in LA because they exist here. Right. Um, you don't just barge in and say, Hey, can I take pictures of this? And what are you up to? And <laughs> yeah. Right. They're shaman. They're 
priest of sorts. So it was a, a process and had to get permission. And I didn't go myself. I didn't, I couldn't, I was doing a million other things, but we sent a representative and they could not take pictures, but they got a lot of information and came back with some good ideas and some do's and don'ts. Uh, and then his, his, the actual cabinet, and it's really quick bit, like he opens it really fast and pulls out like a special formula or serum or whatever you want to call it, potion. And the inside of that cabinet, I actually interfaced with in a way that, you know, I don't do much as a production designer. I'm responsible for the overall look and the big picture. And we usually leave the little, like little dressing and, and tweaking of a tiny little thing in the corner of a room to the set dressers or the prop master or the set decorator. But in this instant, it was really important in those two seconds of film that you saw it that it was just so. So I was there on set going, move it to the left, do it, add the, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So it was, it was fun and we wanted it to feel yet again, you know, you want it to be authentic so that you buy it, you buy that this guy is going to be able to bring it in a way that the priest can't and she can't do it on her own. So then the other, the other thing, you know, the house, the house was, was really fun to, it was a location. It was a location that I had actually scouted for another movie and we didn't use it. And I remembered it and I remembered it specifically because of the color of the wood for a, a Victorian or craftsman style homes. And there's lots of them in, in LA. They're real off and the wood is usually stained like a really dark color. And right. I kind of didn't want to go there with this. I didn't want it to start there. I wanted it to feel warm and inviting and kind of create a, a, a place that, you know, because the opening shot of the film, we move through that downstairs and I, I just wanted it to keep it a little a little lighter and warmer than like a really dark walnut of the, your typical Victorian kind of color palette. I wanted to be able to take the film to that later. And if you, it's subtle, but if you watch it, it things do get darker. We go upstairs, the hallways, the doors, it's, it starts getting very dark up there. It's most of the creepy stuff. When we're upstairs, it's mostly creepy. <laughs> um, so just kind of figuring that out, you know, telling the story. What does dad's office look like? His wallpaper, kind of 1973 feeling colors. You know, there's brick in the kitchen, which is ugly, but it's totally 70s. I put 50s wallpaper in the dining room so that you could kind of tell the tale of yeah. of you know, the story of the house. It was fun. That was actually, that process was uh, was really rewarding. Yeah. You're also quite dealing quite a lot with a house in the uh, in the comedy as well, with, with Bless This Mess, which is uh, about this yeah. family that sort of essentially move, up sticks from a city and moves to rural Nebraska to this, this completely run-down property. Where where was was that done all done on a back lot? Was that house on a back lot somewhere? Or because I mean, yeah. just dealing with a house like that, which is is literally got to look like it's about to fall down, but obviously yeah. you've got to shoot in it. That must be a hell of a thing to to pull off and uh, put together. Well, I'll tell you, we got. So it is on a back lot and the, the shell of the house existed when we found it. It's a shooting ranch just outside of L.A. Right. And but there was nothing inside. It was like completely empty. So w with the exception of the staircase, <laughs> the staircase that we use was there. 
So I just laid out the rooms and, you know, I did, I did a kind of a similar process with that, where I sort of went, you know, walk, walk through the decades from room to room because Aunt Maggie lived there for a long time. Yeah. And maybe even it could have potentially been a family property where she inherited it from somebody and then passed it to Mike. So, you know, we go back into like the forties and fifties in some of the set dressing and the wallpapers. Absolutely. And we just had a real fun, like, you know, the concept upstairs in the bedroom, you've got this kind of yellow wallpaper, very sixties, lots of furniture from the sixties. So obviously Maggie did the bedroom then and the bathroom with the cat wallpaper is also from them and the ugly pink carpet in the bathroom. Like just, you know, that, that it was just great. It was, a blast, you know, and, but still all the while kind of retaining, you know, it's a farm. It's not a museum. They lived in it. And, uh, you know, you're, you never see Maggie, you see a photograph of her, but you actually never meet her. Right. So I got to create this whole backstory visually by what we put in the house. And I worked with Lake Bell and uh, Liz Merriweather, my set decorator, Karuna Carmarker, who's magical. You know, we had lots of conversations and threw around ideas about textures and what would be in there and how much of a hoarder is she and her husband's stuff that's still around and what was the best contrast just for in terms of essence from, you know, when Mike and Rio step into that house and they're bougie New York yeah as opposed to this plus the fact that there's a hole in the roof so you know and she's been gone for a while and it's obviously an ill repair and there are so it's so rich the story of that is so rich and it was just so fun to play in it and you know work with those people those women who created the show who are just amazing people you know yeah funny funny people (laughs) When you're you're creating something like that, where are you finding things like the wallpaper and that sort of stuff? Do you have to get that specially printed? Because I imagine finding rolls of like 50s or 60s wallpaper lying around is probably not the easiest thing in the world. We're really lucky. I mean, there's a there's a wallpaper place here in Los Angeles, um, Aztec Wallpaper, and they just have just about anything you want. Really? We can also create patterns. You know, you have a graphic artist create a pattern pattern from scratch and then you can get it printed. Yeah. We've done that a bit. And there's also a vintage wallpaper online, like real vintage wallpaper that you can purchase. Now that you can't get rolls and rolls and rolls and rolls of it. So you usually reserve it for, you know, like a single room or the inside of a closet or, you know, one wall or something like that. Um, Going back to Curse of La Llorona, the 50, the 1950s wallpaper that we put in that dining room was actual vintage wallpaper um, that I bought. And it was hard to get off the wall, you know, because we have to restore the house to the way it looked before. And it, it took a little extra time for my crew to get it off because it was vintage which means it disintegrates. Right. One of the things that we do, like if you shoot a location, there's a wallpaper glue that's a low tax. So you can put it up and it will remain up for the duration of filming, but it comes off really easily. It's not like the permanent kind yeah. of glue that you would use, if you know, that kind of thing. And my lead painter looked at me and he's just shaking his head. He's like, <laughs> why? Why? Why did you do this good? So I did learn that lesson that that's much better for something like bless this mass. You know, I designed and we built the 
bedroom. It was not a location. Like most of our, all of our interiors in that house, all the walls were things that we built. Yeah. So I had a lot more freedom and I did pull some vintage stuff for that, but you know, it's a set wall. It's, yeah. it's going to get put in storage and come back or not, you know, whatever. So it's yeah, a yeah. whole different process. As great as locations are, I, I guess when you're doing something like that, it must be an awful lot easier for, for you managing things when it's a set and you have full control over everything so yeah that's generally the preference um you know it, it just depends on how you want to shoot it i mean you know we shot the pilot for bless this mess and there was some talk before we came back we to do the handful of episodes the ABC requested about, do we want to do this house on a soundstage now? Right. Because it's hard. We shot up at that ranch and every, we did everything up at that ranch and there's elements. It, it was an unusually wet winter here in Los Angeles. Yeah. It shut us down a couple of times because there's a river that you have to go across to get on the property. And I won't go into all those details, but it was <laughs> yeah. also really great shooting out there because, you know, there were cows outside my office. <laughs> you know, and horses, yeah. and there was chickens, and there was a llama named Rosie we'd go visit. It was uh, amazing. It was so fun. Awesome. That's you want on yeah. location. Uh, yeah. So, last couple of questions for you. First question will be, what TV shows are you watching at the moment? I'm watching American Gods. Great series. Yeah, I really like that show a lot. I, I love the production design. Mm. Um, the story is intriguing to me. I kind of like the mythological characters. Uh, I just think it's a cool show. I spend a lot of time, this is this is the truth, I, you know, it's not particularly interesting, but I, I spend a lot of time watching history and science channel shows. <laughs> yeah, it's just sort of like a palate cleaner for me. You yeah. know, it's not scripted and I learn stuff. Let's see. Is there anything else? You know, visited, did a little bit of um, Game of Thrones, like catching up on that. And that's all I got right now. And if you had the opportunity to work on any TV show, it can be past, present or something future, not something you've worked on, which show would it be? For a more contemporary show, I would say Penny Dreadful. Ah, yes. Which I loved. Yeah. That you know, I was really sad to see that go. Vintage Star Trek, 100%, the original Star Trek. Nice. Nice pick. They are doing another Penny Dreadful, aren't they? I think they're one are of, they? yeah, which I think is based in LA. I think, what? yeah. Let me, I, what? Let, let me let me quickly look that up. I'm calling my agent directly after this phone call. <laughs> uh, is it the same characters or is it no, a whole new thing? No, different characters. It's a Showtime series. It's called Penny Dreadful City of Angels. Oh, interesting. It comes from John Logan. So it's the same guy behind it, but it's it's a different cast and it's moving from Victorian area. London to 1938 Los Angeles. Amazing. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. This is going to be great. It's probably <laughs> going to be my new favorite show. Yeah. <laughs> so, there's just something, you know, again, it was so rich. I love that. There's so much. And I love what Ava Green. Yeah. Ava Green on the original. Uh, so yes. I don't know whether it started shooting yet, but it was definitely shooting this year, I think. So yeah, maybe you should uh, ask around. <laughs> yeah, I will. But I mean, I'm going, I'm going off to do Bill and Ted three. So, you know, oh, I'm, man. I'm, I know, I know. I'm really happy. But it's going 
going to be so much fun. So much fun. Oh, wow. I love Keanu Reeves as well. He's supposed to be one of the nicest people in the world. So, <laughs> yeah, I have met him. Um, I know Alex. I've worked for Alex before. I met Keanu once through him. Yeah. And he is incredibly down to earth and lovely. Yeah. No. And, and smart. Yeah. Curious. Just yeah, he seems like the nicest person, and Alex seems great as well. And uh, yeah, yeah, Alex did uh, what was that movie you did? Freaked, I seem to remember, which yeah, was yeah. A, about circus freaks, and uh, yeah. and he wrote he wrote Keanu in as Otis the dog boy, yeah. <laughs> just covered yeah. him in dog hair, so you couldn't tell it was Keanu underneath, apart from the voice. Alex has actually been directing a lot of documentaries, and and Gail Zappa, Frank Zappa's, oh right, wife, uh, has allowed Alex into the vault so he's been restoring Frank Zappa's vault and I think wow. um, potentially building some documentary off of that awesome well thank you for spending a bit of time to chat it's been really lovely good luck with the with Bill and Ted 3 I am so looking forward to that film I was a huge fan of the others so uh, I'm really looking forward yeah, let's, to that when it comes out we'll chat again I'll, and I'll have some fun probably hopefully yeah. fun stories about that one yes you have to come back on when that comes out because because that's yeah. brilliant all right it's been lovely talking to you have a really good day yeah you too thanks for your time and your interest no problem talk to you soon cheers bye-bye so that was the interview with melanie jones hope you enjoyed that uh, curse of la Llorona. you can uh, go out and uh, check out i'm sure it'll be around in cinemas the dirt which is the biopic from motley crew that is on netflix so you can go watch that right now uh, bless this mess don't know when that's going to land over here but uh, we'll keep an eye out for it it's uh, on ABC if you're in the US. Now we have some highlights for next week on TV. So highlights for next week on TV. We kick off with a great one because Lucifer is back for its fourth season. Tom Ellis back as, as the devil himself in Los Angeles. I'm so looking forward to this, even though it's only 10 episodes this time around on Netflix. Uh, 8th of May for that. Talk about knowing your audience. The first trailer they released for this was Tom Ellis basically with his shirt off. That was the entire thing. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to play to your strengths. Yeah, no. So that was that was the first thing. Uh, they have actually put a longer proper trailer up since then and uh, that you can find up on the website as well it's funny seeing sort of how the the fan base for lucifer is a little bit similar to the kind of the supernatural yes. fan base in, in some ways lucifer not all the episodes are particularly that brilliant but there's something so likable yeah. about the cast that people are just kind of on board with it and yeah. i didn't expect it to sort of go for this many seasons and i didn't expect to like it because it was so different to the comic book yeah but i, I kind of do yeah that show would die without tom ellis in it because he's so so likable as that character and yeah I, I completely agree if you like Supernatural you'll love Lucifer because it's got very much a similar kind of feel to it uh, it's quite self-aware by this point yeah absolutely I'm interested to see what Netflix do with it now it's off a network because it was Fox that had it in the US so I, I wonder whether they're going to push the boundaries a little bit more with it being on Netflix now so we'll we'll have to see but uh, I, I am looking forward to that but 10 episodes long it is 8th of May for that just go watch it it's superb Deep State season 2 of that is coming on the 9th of May at 9pm that's got Walter Goggins in the lead role for the second season I'm uh 
kind of looking forward to that coming back uh sneaky pete which i adore third season of that comes on the 10th of may that's the one about uh, gianni rivsey as a con man who steals the identity of his ex-soulmate to avoid the wrath of a furious mob boss uh we are kind of a bit past that basic description now but uh just such an enjoyable show if you've not watched that it's brilliant it's kind of it is sort of breaking bad-esque uh, but has some wonderful humor in it 10th of may on amazon prime for that for sneaky pete the society which is basically lord of the flies by the sounds of it um 10th of may on netflix for that it's about a group of teenagers who are mysteriously transported to a facsimile of their wealthy new england town but without any traces of their parents is the basis of that so it's essentially kind of a modern day take on lord of the flies as these kids kind of try and work out some sort of hierarchy but we've posted a few trailers and stuff for that but that looks interesting that's called the society 10th of may on netflix for that one uh cardinal if you're following that canadian drama series that is on bbc4 on the 11th of may at 9 p.m for season three of that patriot act with hassan minaj it's back for its third season that's on the 12th of may uh, that's an utterly utterly brilliant uh, kind of daily show-esque series uh except he takes one specific topic and talks about it every week a very very funny and uh, really really worth watching gotham was mentioned back on the 12th of may then we've got uh, mary kills people this is coming to more for on the 14th of may at 9 p.m it's about a a single mother an er doctor who also moonlights as an underground angel of death helping people with assisted suicide it's sort of very dark dramedy thing as far as i can work out canadian yeah, from series. the title i would not have guessed that was the content no i I wouldn't have either, but uh, it's got various awards behind it. So uh, could be one worth going to check out. 14th of May at 9pm for that. It's called Mary Kills People. Then we have Years and Years as well, finally, which is on the 14th of May on BBC One. That's at 9pm. This is the new drama from Russell T. Davis. Follows the lives of a single family over 15 years. I've been getting pretty positive reactions from people that have seen early things of it. It's Russell T. Davis. And uh, he tends to be quite brilliant with his writing. So uh, I would go out and watch that, definitely. That's only a mini-series, but uh, 14th of May at 9pm for that one. So that's everything for this week, unless you've got anything else you want to add in? No, I think we've covered quite a lot of things. Um, I'll generally say, since you said so many people have been coming on the show recently and saying it, it's it's my birthday uh, when this goes up tomorrow. So yes. two days from now, so tomorrow from when this airs. I can't really do time. Um, happy birthday for later in the week (laughs) so yes going to have fun doing uh, all of the geeky things for that yes Um, yes looking forward to seeing what you do for your birthday Um, so (laughs) more on that go and check out your twitter feed which is at Uh, everything is at Trista Bites, which is spelt B-Y-T-E-S because I thought I'd make a geeky pun because I thought I was funny. Um, <laughs> but you can find my videos over on the Trista Bites YouTube. I also have the Facebook, Twitters and Instagrams and I sometimes put up articles and videos on geektown.co.uk as well. Yes, that is true. So go and check out uh, Bex at Trista Bites. Also, if you're a Game of Thrones fan, the episode today was fabulous again. Uh, if you're a Game of Thrones fan, go and check out the Reviewing Westeros podcast, which you can find over 
over on entertainmenttalk.org. Me and Matt are doing that weekly, so uh, go and check that out if you're into Game of Thrones. In-depth discussion of all the Game of Thrones episodes. And uh, for us, if you want to go to geektown.co.uk throughout the week, you can see all the latest air date info. Keep a close eye on the website over the next week or so because there are a lot of renewals and cancellations coming in. If you want to get in touch with your questions and comments, email us on podcast at geektown.co.uk. Leave a message on the website page. Find us at Geek Town on Twitter, on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Geek Town, on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash Geek Town, and on Instagram at Geek Town UK. That is everything. We shall see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye bye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.